0: This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard.
1: You know, one of the challenges of buying high-end apparel and accessories online is the confidence in both the accuracy of fit and the quality of the workmanship. A great conversation with Institu, makers of custom-tailored suits, was recently published on the podcast, Retail Is Your Business, and we thought you'd love it too. Enjoy this interview.
0: From New York City, you're listening to Fashion Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the fashion industry.
2: Hi, my name is Timothy Aquino. I'm the head of sales at the Institute. We are an omni-channel retailer in tailor-made suits. What I love about retail is the uh, human connection that we have with our clients, getting to know their personal stories and then obviously making an impact in their lives with what they wear.
0: From New York City, you're listening to Retail Is Your Business covering the intersection of innovation and business in the retail industry.
3: My name's Rebecca Fitz from Warby Parker. I'm here, as always, with my co-host Chris Hansen from Ignition One. Hey, Rebecca. Hey, we are here with Tim today. Tim, welcome to the program.
2: Thank you for having me. Great.
3: Thanks so much for joining us. Tell us a little bit about Institute. You're an Australian brand. Yep. Uh, give us a little history yep. and, and the lowdown.
2: Yeah, our origins are from Sydney, Australia, and uh, we are an omni-channel retailer that specialises in custom tailor-made suits at a price point which is palatable for essentially the masses. It's not reserved for the, I would say, corporate elite we make that price point attractive to anybody who wants to buy a suit that is fully customizable to them.
3: I have had the pleasure of being up to your showroom, which I think was, is it still just a couple blocks yeah, it's away? it's just a block away, yeah. Okay. And you were looking for some physical space. But before we get there, there are some other players in this mm-hmm. category. How are you all differentiating yourselves?
2: Yeah. I mean the market seems to be quite saturated with a lot of different brands doing a similar thing and i guess the market dictates that so there's a lot of demand for the price point plus the in the age of customization guys want to really explore better ways to shop how do we differentiate ourselves and that that's a tough question i mean there's we are on par with price point with a, a lot of other companies but we like to say that the service and the experience that each client that goes through those doors, they're well taken care of end to end. And that is the formula of success for us in repeat business plus referrals, as that's how we've grown organically.
3: That makes sense too. And, you know, some of your competitors are opening up physical storefronts, Mm. and I'm not sure if that takes away or, or gives in the customer experience, because what I am feeling from your brand is that it's really, really intimate.
2: It is, yeah. The showroom itself being located, not storefront, but, you know, we, you have to go into a building and then, you know, up five levels gives that intimate experience. And I guess that leads and paves the way for intimacy and, and community being built. Funnily enough, guys crave for community and we try to uh, create an environment that they're comfortable in, they're not rushed in decision making, they're, I guess, clear headed in in the sense that, you know, they they can see what. They
3: can do. And having been to the showroom, it really is kind of a beautiful Zen experience. Yeah. It's you're not being pushed around by other shoppers. I mean, when I went up, mm-hmm. I was like, well, we should hang out. We should ch- mm-hmm. I don't drink scotch, but I can yeah. s- sit here and do that. You know, like so it, it really is kind of a, a beautiful, intimate, calm experience. Um, and I think, you know, again, it's not a retail storefront, so yeah. it's it's a showroom. So yeah. that makes a lot of sense. I'm always fascinated by this and I think there's something that there, but I could be being really stereotyping here. Mm -hmm. You sell to men right now only. So do you think that they want a different shopping experience?
2: They do. I only draw from my own experience as a young corporate professional before I was in the tailor-made suit game and how not encouraging it was to walk into a space that you felt intimidated because essentially what that salesperson does in any regular retail front is that you feel judgment straight away. And that's just, just how it goes. People judge you on, on what you wear and how you wear it. So there was a gap in the market in um, creating a space which was comfortable and which was just easy, an easy flow of, of the process of buying a suit. And that's that's where we're at right now. Yeah. Right.
4: I feel like any any experience now catered towards men involves brown liquor. Like if you go to get your hair cut or shave or get clothes (laughs) or do anything involving men,
2: it involves liquor.
3: If Chris goes up the brown could could he potentially have a cocktail?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the ultimate icebreaker. That's one of the first questions we ask anybody walking into the showroom, whether they're a female or a male, is what can I get you to drink? instead of what do you want? You know. So we we break down that invisible barrier of of uncomfortability through liquor yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah no i get it i mean it's like
3: it also loosens the purse strings yeah, i mean on there, the other end that of it tip. if i walk yeah. into a there's store and someone serves yeah. me a glass of champagne yeah. they, i probably went up 50 percent on whether i was going to shop yeah. i'm also curious um are you finding other Maybe shopping patterns, or they could even be data points. I mean, I'll make this joke, but someone and I think men have changed the way they shop now. Mm -hmm. But that some men um, just do one shop a year, like they wait until the underwear is disintegrating off their body, and then it's it's time. We may or may not. That's (laughs)
4: literally my shopping behavior.
3: We may or may not have someone in the room who shops this way. So I'm curious because I'm I'm really I'm. Blasting a whole fifty percent of the population. It's here. a
2: great, great point. Generally, guys are impulse buyers. It's either they make the decision to get something because they've worn a hole in their crotch, you know, <laughs> with their suit, and uh, the amount of times guys come in here or come into the showroom because of that reason, uh, you know, I, I've lost count. So, how, <laughs> how we? This is why they need a judgment-free zone. Go on. <laughs> how I think over the last, you know almost 10 years I've been in the game of, of men's, menswear, men's suiting, I've seen a shift in how shopping, especially with men, has been more embedded in the social. So, pretty much everybody here, I'm sure, is on Instagram. They scroll down, they see something that they're inspired to wear and how relevant it is with them. And then they're a little bit more prompted to, uh, take the action knowing there is a lead time with tailor-made garments and creating something that would improve their aesthetic yeah it's really
4: interesting because i mean i just think we i think we hit on the the crux of of (laughs) of of demography here for retail and uh, for specifically men's retail one one it's the checklist like one brown liquor two there's probably leather somewhere in the showroom that has to, like, a chair or a yeah. couch or something. Uh, three, or, you know, is it that season where you go shopping at one time a year and, and maybe four or three, three B is, like, do you have holes in your clothes? Because yeah. that's, you're at that point. So how does that, like, how, how, how do you... do you play knowing that it's almost like you know it's not seasonality per se but it's like shopping habits that you have to align to and is there a strategy around that that doesn't necessarily involve alcohol like (laughs) is there some other thing at play here for you guys in terms of how to go after that almost unicorn i mean there's obviously changing Mm -hmm. habits but knowing that that's still the majority of of shopping behavior for men like how how do you handle that what 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 are the strategies that you use
2: yeah i mean we we go and the way we we market the brand itself is we have to be quite accurate and and direct to who our target audience is and linkedin and, and instagram and facebook are the places in which we invest time in seeking out new leads now Yes, guys, uh, they're a little bit less inclined to just meander around seeing what, what's available. They're, when they usually come into the showroom, they know exactly what they need and when they need it. Referrals and reorders are an integral part of our sales process itself. So, making sure that there's a a constant follow-up process involved keeps us fresh in their minds and just gently reminds them that this season is coming up. You know, if you have other suits being rotated out of your wardrobe, this is what we have. This is what you have to consider.
3: So, so certainly social, which I love you said LinkedIn, mm-hmm. because not a lot of folks do, but you're going after. I know
2: it's apparel, a a like you automatically uh, yeah. think B to C. Yeah. B to C right. and then,
4: but for you guys, it's actually LinkedIn makes a ton of sense yeah, because absolutely. it's B to B. It's not even B to B to C, it's yeah. B to C to B almost, yeah. like you create a whole yeah. new...
3: I, like... absolutely. You're going after that professional, so yeah, yeah it's really I mean, interesting.
2: It's such an amazing tool, given that you find the right way to go about uh, approaching clients or businesses on LinkedIn. I personally have had businesses reach out to me with masterclass events that we could go out to their businesses and teach how to dress appropriately or um just the the etiquette involved in in dressing in a suit or how to dress in a suit and then that next level with b2c customers it's a little bit more direct through that social semi-social channel as opposed to that cold email Mm -hmm. which is what in the past has been has been done and what what's worked in the past as well but now we've had to sort of pivot with the way that we approach new clients right and yeah.
3: technology is certainly an interesting driver i know we've talked to some luxury brands and there's always a little flashback of the black client book and you mm-hmm. you know you give them a call mm-hmm. um and it seems like you all are doing that but kind of on a different level hey you're swapping some suits out for the season yep. here we are again yeah on a personal level. Yep. Yeah. So email, text.
2: Yep. Got it. Exactly right. Yeah.
3: Really interesting. I'm gonna back up a little bit. So mm. we started out, you're an Australian brand. Yep. You're here. Yeah. How many locations do you have? How long have you been here?
2: We have been here for three years now, and we have one location with the intent to expand out to other states of the great country of America. <laughs>
3: Excellent. And talk to us a little bit about your strategy there, because again, I found you, I'm I'm female, Mm -hmm. but, or you all found me because we were talking about physical spaces Mm -hmm. and also how to kind of get the word out about the brand Mm -hmm. to your particular audience, which is, you know, men who need to wear a suit to work.
2: Yeah. First of all, it's establishing and having a a clear and coherent, um, statement of who we are as a brand identity, which is very important. Like what is, it goes back to the question, what separates us from other competitors and how, what's a value add that we can give to a guy that historically buys off the rack? So, to cut through a lot of the noise, yes, we need to be clear in our storytelling of who we are, and that is, you know, we provide Australian Merino Noble garments at an afford- affordable price point. So, through social channels, communicating that, that story, and then the powerful connections that we make in person with our clients. Because we, or I can never underestimate the influence and power that one client has in you know, causing a domino effect in us expanding to you know new markets. We've seen that in Australia as we're located in every city <laughs> in Australia. So that is, um, yeah, that's a that's going to be a key ingredient.
4: So word of mouth referrals. That's that's yeah, driving the business to some extent or at least expansion. That still is a big yeah. big part of the strategy. The
2: best salespeople are our clients because they wear our product. They don't have to say a word, They just wear it and then um they attract attention, and then it just snowballs.
3: Really interesting. And do you think um, when you physically go to other locations, there's the storytelling component, I'm sure you'll have some influencers already, you know, in the market, is the strategy to not do kind of the retail floor and do similar to what you're doing here?
2: No, definitely the strategy and the direction will be having a retail frontage. And What's interesting in New York as opposed to what I've seen in Sydney is that the retail frontage location is almost like a and they're selling an experience as opposed to the the product itself. Recently, uh I went to a workshop and there was a McKinsey study that showed that Gen Zs were more inclined to shop in person as opposed to online. Millennials have more of a propensity to shop online. And obviously baby boomers, they want to be in person and see and feel things obviously. So yeah, just going back to the retail frontage part. Yeah, that's uh, it's a powerful tool in being able to communicate who we are, show the product, but also deliver an experience which is unique and different from that off-the-rack experience.
3: So we're going to pivot from retail stores mm-hmm. to a tradition we have here on the show where we ask a guest to uh, bring a snack. We break bread. We learn a little bit about them. Yep. Uh, Tim, what did you bring for us today?
2: <sighs> I brought Lemington's. It's a staple of my <laughs> All right, now, Australian yep. childhood.
4: See, I saw that Bluestone Lane box and I had my own ideas of what was in there. Absolutely. But I don't, now I'm curious, what? A what?
2: Yeah, Lamington, it's a hell of a snack, I tell you what. It's what you have after school at 4 p.m. just before dinner. Sweet or savory? It's a sweet. I was <laughs> assuming. Yeah. That when, it's, uh, so it's like a a sponge cake covered in Chocolate and coconut. Oh my
3: goodness! (laughs) um,
2: It's very difficult to find here, but Blue Stone Lane. Do they have it at every Blue Stone? Exactly. Because now
3: we're like,
4: I'm pretty sure they do. From the way you just described it, I think I'm probably going to Blue Stone (laughs) after work.
3: Yeah, exactly. Wow, this sounds. Have you had a Lamington before? Never. Okay,
4: (laughs) I'm dying to see this thing. Oh my god that's that's ridiculous. So I've been in Bluestone many, many times, and I've never seen that because I probably didn't know to look for it
2: yeah, it's like a it's essentially a pastry, but yeah it's a, it's a staple of my childhood for sure, nice, yeah. I think they make
4: those in my neighborhood. So they have the Bluestone Bakery. It's like a block away from my Can apartment. Can you
3: smell the baking? What?
4: No, but uh, they have a big sort of apparatus in there that looks like they're always, it, it, it kind of looks like the Keebler elves making things. So, uh, <laughs> you yeah, know, maybe they're making them there. All right, so we got to get something. Yeah, let me grab right. Go for it. for
3: it. Up next, we'll hear more about In-Situ's omni-channel strategy.
0: Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes wherever the best podcasts are found.
3: We'd love to hear more about this is a trend right now, but starting online and then yep. how do you take that experience and, yep. and make it Omni Channel.
4: Especially with bespoke products. Like yeah. It seems Yeah. It's
2: not it's not like a, a Zara. Yeah. It's just it's, straight, it's, straight it's the opposite of yeah, fast exactly. fashion. Exactly. <laughs> and that's what the the two owners uh, discovered very early on. They're in Intent was to have an online, a purely online service that that sold you know suits and whatnot. We we quickly found out that the human experience, customer experience, and the online should go hand in hand. We have obviously bricks and mortar locations that lay the foundation for reinforcing the trust in the product, the service, and then the experience side of it with uh, going through that whole process of getting measured customizing your own suit and feeling the fabric beyond that process once they get their suit in store is that they are are now confident knowing that the measurements are, are spot on and they're they have access behind their computer to go at their own pace to reorder online because you can obviously design your shirt and your suit behind your your own computer we do and have just released this new service where we can send out swatches to clients at their request. So that obviously helps out people who lives in to, live interstate or away from, far away from our showrooms. And it just gives them that confidence that this is the fabric they're getting. They can feel it and then they can order it online. It's yeah.
4: almost like the true definition of Omnichannel. Yeah, like right, I, yeah. I just think that... You know, it's almost on the channel for most retailers is you can do something here or you can do something there. But I feel like for you guys, it's you start here in brick and mortar because measurement and the other tactile sort of element is the experience. But then Mm -hmm. you can bring that online and have this sort of dual experience potentially.
2: Yeah. And don't get me wrong. We we still have customers that have started purely online. And they've inputted their own measurements. And it is an easy, you know, 14-step process to to input their measurements. And our website guides them with videos on how to do it. And they just reorder online without ever seeing them.
4: Yeah, It's like Warby Parker. Like, I I, I almost feel like that's... The, it's a tactile experience. We probably have talked about this before. No single mm-hmm. pair of glasses looks good on me. I can go through an entire <laughs> sunglass hut. Warby Parker Solstice, yeah. this. It doesn't matter. Like, there's... Not one single pair that looks good on me, and so it seems ominous yeah. to go online and pick something because I need to see it, feel it, and I feel the same way mm. with ordering a custom suit. Like I would have to get yeah. measured, I would have to feel the material, and so
2: yeah, there's obviously hesitation when you're spending upwards of a thousand dollars online. Like you need to have that reassurance, and that's why we have the bricks and mortar store where it almost justifies that that upsell.
3: And you've talked about timing a little bit, and we're in such a instant gratification Mm -hmm. mode, I think, right now as a society. So you go in, you do the experience, how long before your custom suit arrives?
2: It's about three to four weeks. Okay. So that is usually, in a guy's um, mind, a little bit long because they want something that they can hold straight away we're looking to shorten that dramatically in the next um, few years or whatnot but yeah three to four weeks is the the time frame obviously factoring in getting the fabric and then cutting it exactly to you know the measurements of that individual person i know that is an intention for the owners to get it within about a week and a bit Um, wow and so you can Imagine the logistical nightmare it is at the moment. We obviously need that back end to be a smooth running machine. The suits are made in China, but the fabrics are independently sourced as Australian merino wool. The story of the factory in China is fascinating in itself where it's a city of its own, um, where they have their own universities and schools for the the tailors that are over there. And so that's a story that, you know, we can unpack as a, you know, sustainable practice channel that we we like. We don't want to be afraid of hiding because obviously there's a stigma for a lot of people being like, "Oh, it's made in China. It's probably poor quality." But I think if we break down the the stigma of that, they'll see that it is an incredible process.
3: And, and I think maybe people don't know um, also the, the whole history. I think it's some economics, but it's also how well it's done. So mm. if you're an American businessman and happen to be in China, you probably want to have something made for yourself while you're there. Yeah. So yeah. you're kind of connecting all the worlds, it seems yeah, like. Yeah,
2: exactly. So one of the main ways that a lot of businessmen a couple of years ago would shop for a tailor-made suit is that you know a hong kong tailor would fly in they'd rent a room Mm -hmm. and they'd you know show all their fabrics they cut the suit there's anything wrong with it they have to send it back we eliminate that arduous process where that physical storeroom that you can see whenever you want and then um at that same price point we're able to deliver a product that yeah, is right on par
4: with that. Yeah, but I, I think that's that's part of the mystique of it. I I do think. I mean, maybe this is different because of what it you know the specific nature of the product. But you know, it is Hong Kong tailor. Like when I think of, I think of two. If, if I'm going to have a tailor cut my suit in oh, yeah. in you know ten years ago, it would have been an Italian tailor or a Hong Kong tailor. And I think that there is this culture, almost like an artisanship. Maybe that's not a word, but, uh, you know, almost an apprenticeship that would be around those two cultures with respect to suit making. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I don't think there's there should be a stigma if there is one, because that's that in my mind, I'm thinking like yeah. that's what the experience was. It is. And I still get the emails. I probably get two a week yeah. from someone saying, my tailor is in town from X place. Yeah. And would love to stop by and you know and it's like wow, that's that's still that feels like so nineteen sixties. And, and I 1970s. think there are a couple of
3: famous movies with that exact scene that you played out where, yeah. you know, the tailor yeah. comes in.
4: Yeah.
3: So I I think for online to offline and and even omni channel there are always challenges on all the different platforms. Talk to us about, you know, you're here physically, you're Mm. as dapper as can be, Mm -hmm. um, about the online selling versus the in-store selling.
2: The online selling, obviously, you don't have that physical image of me in a nicely dressed suit. So I guess the approach we take is, is how do we get straight to the point? Because obviously these guys are inundated with emails from a hundred other tailors. How do we cut through the noise? And usually that's through the the visual aspect and the storytelling of who we are. I remember maybe a couple of years ago, well, just starting off, how when I would generate new clients, it would be through the channels of cold calling, cold emailing, and door knocking that is almost an archa- archaic way of looking at it's almost like a snake oil salesman you know like <laughs> you knock on the door but you know what like it worked a lot of the time because i was there in person they could see yeah. me in a suit so i would i would literally you know go to a an office knock on the door a building like this and um just ask if if anyone is uh looking for a new suit and i'd have my suitcase full of Full of fabrics. And it is a, an effective way being in the line of, and in the industry. I mean, we're selling an image, we're selling right. a, aesthetic. And if, if a guy can see it firsthand, then that's one step closer. So that's somewhat of an effective way to sell in person. But the online aspect is, is a little trickier in the sense that how do we cut through the noise? Mm-hmm. How do we create um, legitimacy and credibility through a written form. And what we've seen been effective is uh, through editors and articles that have been written about us. Guys are, are making more informed decisions of where they want to spend their money. Is, is there
4: a brown liquor for online? Is there something that like <laughs> gives you the taste, gives you the experience online? Is there something aspirational you guys are trying to get out there? Or is it just, this is going to be by nature a, a less personal experience online? Like, How do you bridge those two? channels.
2: Yeah. Uh I think the way that we're bridging it at the moment is being able to be less sales salesy in, in the approach. We are talking about topics which are relevant to men. So like what are the suits sins that some guys make, whether it's a having a fat dad wallet in their pocket or by the way that's my honestly, I, sh- I swear <laughs> to you, and I have it right yeah. now in this pair of pants. Yeah.
4: That's my biggest challenge with suits. I, I buy a suit and I buy an extra pair of pants because I always wear it through the back pocket Yeah, because I have a Costanza wallet.
2: Yeah, It's, it's just like, it's just habits like that, that people, you don't know what you don't know. And we are looking to re-educate and um, spread the knowledge of what is deemed acceptable in the tailoring world. And whether you like it or not, people see that. Whether If you don't notice it, I guarantee you, someone that you will meet the first seven seconds of them meeting you they is, won't um,
3: <laughs> is be able that's to take their eyes yeah. yeah, no, believe me. Well, and it's interesting because I do think men are looking for solutions, and um, it's interesting you mentioned selling through you know editorial, which mm. I, you know PR has changed so much yeah. with social media. But what have been some of the the best you know editorials that yeah. have really moved your?
2: Yeah, Forbes is is definitely one of them. A lot of corporate guys read read Forbes and they um, are actively looking when they start the search for when they type in a tailor-made suit that is uh, one of the articles that pops up and thankfully one of our Forbes editors that wrote a story on us was very thorough in the, the whole experience and how we differentiate from other brands and that was um, strategic in the, in the sense that we were able to you know tell us our, uh, our identity and our story.
4: Is part of the strategy I mean you talked about it a little bit but is part of the strategy going after the customer who buys off the rack versus people who have bought custom suits before like which is it more going after that larger set of I've never done this before mm-hmm. and and you should be doing it if you're gonna spend six hundred dollars in a seat, you might as well yeah. spend a little bit more to get something that fits you because fit is so
2: important yeah automatically our price point demands that sort of attention from the masses of those who generally buy off the rack price points usually between 499 to 899 someone who's buying off the rack is already paying that much plus alterations on top of that but the unique thing about our location the way we're set up is that we're able to cater to those who have specific preferences in how they want to design their suit. And that's something that is almost um, not characterized as well, but because it seems like guys are just, they go with whatever. It's often the case that guys are a little bit even more piggier than women. I'm telling you, with the buttonhole stitching, whether they want their monogram in, in it, the size of the lapel, all of these things um, add up in that experience that we want to provide. And there is a niche market for guys that know what they look for and we provide that
4: that service. I get it. I mean, I yeah. th- it's, like, it's like glasses. Their yeah. suits don't fit me well. There's a couple of suit brands, designers that fit me well because they tend to be more Nordic <laughs> slash yeah. Central European, yeah. not the more Italian
2: and what's shit. what's interesting to me is that we get guys that have historically never gotten a tailor-made suit but they almost always know that their stuff doesn't fit right yeah <laughs> so it's like this innate like they know they need there's your market, you know? and I also <laughs>
3: was gonna say if I only shopped once a year I really care about some of those details as well or yeah. the, the first time you're doing it yeah. up next we're gonna learn more about Tim as a person
1: love to laugh do you love great interviews with a lot of heart do you like good stories do you like to hear about life well good news because if you listen to a show called funny people talking all of that happens right danielle
3: all of it happens every single thing you said on that list and more
1: elsie does any of it not happen it all happens
3: Come on, okay. Elsie. That's it really right. happened.
1: Okay. Well, you should join us on Funny People Talking on Mouth Media Network. You can find us anywhere. You can find a great podcast. And I know it's true because these people loved it. Woo-hoo! Only for a short time while they were listening to the show, Then Life Sucked. Listen to Funny People Talking.
3: You got a lot of people in this room who are very pro-Australia. I don't know why you'd yeah. be con-Australia, but uh, tell us a little bit about growing up in Australia.
2: Yeah, I grew up, for those who can't see me, I am a Filipino heritage, but I was born and raised in Australia in uh, what would essentially be called as the sticks. So <laughs> it's almost like country. I I grew up with friends that had acreage of land. And so we would do four wheeling and ride on donkeys and whatnot. <laughs> so
3: You were a rural kid. Wow. Well, yeah, okay. I was one
2: of maybe three Asians in my in my school. Okay. Yeah. So it was it was very much a, a different upbringing from what you see physically to, you know, what I was really brought up in. So yeah, that's that that's my story with with being brought up in Australia. Yeah,
4: I think you need to meet my wife. She grew up in upstate New York. She's Filipino. And oh, great! She was one of three Asians in her yeah. time too. So she, she she I'm sure you have comparable <laughs> stories, maybe <laughs> not I'm, involving Indian. I'm ATV.
3: Indian, and I grew up in upstate New York, um, yeah. where it is almost 100 yeah. you know Caucasian. So it's interesting. Yeah, there was there was an Air Force base and a college, so there was a little diversity, but it's interesting. Um, so. What do you appreciate about New York being kind of a, a, a country kid?
2: Yeah, it's definitely two different cultures where space is uh, <laughs> limited here. It's not as I can see. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is uh, I, I went back last year to see, you know, my family and living in a, a studio here in, in New York and going back to my parents' house, I, I walked in. I was like, this is bigger than I remember it to be. <laughs> a mansion <laughs> usually it's the
4: opposite but only in, for when you live in new york right, is, it, exactly. is it
3: oh this is yeah. huge and uh, i found myself too now that i am in such close quarters if i go and i stay in a bigger house with my husband i'm like where were you and yeah. he's like i just was in the other room <laughs> i mean the possibilities are so limited yeah. in new york that you're like oh
2: so yeah the difference i guess uh living in these two separate cultures was um it wasn't uh, too much of an adjustment i think that there's a couple of big misnomers that New York has. One being people are mean and not nice. That is not true at all. One of the first impressions that me and my uh, my partner had was how nice everybody was, how willing they were to open their doors and their networks to you to help you out. And I think that was um, a huge blessing coming here.
4: I think impatience is misconstrued as rudeness, but it's I not. Agree. It's just, or, or it's anger just speed. or speed. F-
3: yeah. yeah.
4: <laughs> it's efficiency, which it. people misconstrue as yeah. rudeness. Yeah. Well, see, I was going to ask you your your other comfort comfort food from Australia, but now I got to ask you your your favorite Filipino comfort
2: oh, food. Oh, Gosh, you oh. would know about that. I'm you? curious <laughs> to say. So, all right. So, obviously, growing up in a Filipino household, we had Filipino food on a regular basis. I used to get so sick of it but now being away from it it is something i crave for so number one kare kare i don't know if you know that yeah i definitely do yeah it's a peanut butter like base with like beef and it's good it's fantastic well filipino food by the way (laughs) is amazing not healthy it's not healthy (laughs) You, you go to any filipino party the spread of food is like brown. It's all brown. It's brown (laughs) brown and oily. And and pork based mainly. But it's so good. It is so
3: good. It sounds delish. Yeah.
4: I, yeah, my, my kids have grown up now with Filipino comfort food. So, you know, rice and eggs and Vienna sausage yeah. or some sort of canned meat is, is, is par for the course.
2: Oh, yeah, that's, uh, it's yeah, good. That's it's, flashback, right? Yeah, there. It's, <laughs> it's, it's meat, salt, rice, eggs. One oh, thing, so good. one thing which I have to keep in mind is, uh, both my grandmas have got diabetes. So oh. it just, it's, it's fairly prevalent. Yeah, it's pretty, in, in it's, a bit yeah, of it's pretty common. Yeah. And, 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 and heart
4: disease too, right. unfortunately, because yeah. the food is not light on, yeah. um, it's not light fair. Yeah. So really quick question, yeah. French cuffs, no French cuffs. What do you do? I mean, obviously you're in yeah. French cuffs today, but what's mm-hmm. what would you recommend for most men? Go French cuff or no?
2: I would, depending on the the situation. So if you're, you know, going to a wedding and whatnot, French cuffs is the way to go. But I've seen a 50-50 split of, of guys who go French cuff or, or no French cuffs. There is no hard rule. It's tied back to your identity. So when we create a garment for someone, I don't want to impose my preferences on someone who generally is comfortable wearing no cuffs. So sorry if I would, didn't answer. No, the question. would you? Oh, no, you
4: so, didn't. but I think you would highly recommend someone owning a pair of cufflinks at the very highly least. Highly recommend.
2: Yeah, it's just one of those subtle flexes that you've put attention to detail in what you wear. So there's there's definitely subtle flexes in in a tailor-made garment like functional buttonholes just the way the garment's made, like stitching on the lapel. French cuffs is an extension of that. Anybody walking into a room and they see someone in French cuffs, they know that he has invested that 30 seconds worth of time in their morning to, to put it in, and I think that says a lot. Yeah.
3: Subtle flexes, subtle muscle flexes that. within a tailored yeah. suit. Wow. Yeah, I love so that. It's that. I did too. It's that, I think there's
4: a marketing message on know the site. exactly. Yeah.
3: I was like, just to, to wrap it up, is yeah. everything uh, sans the shoes... From, in situ.
2: Aside the shoe, aside from the shoes, everything it, it, is from in situ. Socks included. No, not socks. Okay, <laughs> socks.
3: just get, But and again, mm-hmm. in, impeccably uh, yeah. put together here.
2: Not me, Rebecca.
3: <laughs> you always are too. I just don't need to mention it every yeah. time.
2: <laughs> but as much as like I can be so well dressed, it is the the character of the man in the suit that finishes it off. I think is uh it's important. That's why I enjoy what I what I do is. Is I get to know people's stories and see beyond that layer of you know their garment, what they wear.
3: That's so interesting. interesting Because and I bet it's a real, um, a little bit of a confidence boost or change. You know, between when you tell the story of your suit and then you put it on.
2: Yeah, interesting. I just recently had a client say to me, "It's because because he's just revamped his wardrobe with tailor made garments. It's because of the way he's dressed that he met." his fiance yeah Yeah. so the the power of dressing well
3: tim if people want to reach you what's the best
2: way you can visit me or visit our showroom at institute on 27 west 24th street our social handles is at institute that's i-n-s-t-i-t-c-h-u and uh yeah come give us a call give us a visit
3: chris hansen from ignition one thanks for being here Thanks, Rebecca. My name is Rebecca Fitz from Morby Parker. Tim, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah,
2: thanks for having me. It was an enjoyable time. It was great.
3: Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. This has been Fashion Is Your Business,
0: produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2019. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at fashionisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard.